conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back. Today I am joined by L.A. Chavez and we're talking all about comics. We're going to dive into his comic Santa Fe and what else he has going on. L.A., how are you doing today? Hello, I'm very good today. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Of course. It's always fun to talk to creators, whether they are new to the scene or they're sort of veterans. And I know you mentioned just before we hit record here that you're a little newer to the comic book scene, but I want to start off with your comic, Santa Fe. I picked up a digital copy and read that, and it's a fantasy comic. Can you just quickly describe the gist of the comic for the listeners? Uh, well, Santa Fe came out from this idea I had about, uh, you know, because usually when you see fantasy, it, it tends to be about the same kind of story, you know, where like they have to find or destroy the ring or save the kingdom, that kind of epic uh, storyline. I wanted to try something smaller, more intimate that could still be uh, big, but trying to mix genres. So it really became about what if we had like a Batman comic, a, a crime driven character piece in the world of like Lord of the Rings, you know, with elves and dragons and dwarves and all the good stuff. And it just became like this gritty tale uh, with elves and, dra and uh, you know, it, it, it felt unique. And I wanted to try exploring that more. And that became Santa Fe eventually. Yeah. And who is the artist on that? How did you get connected with them? Oh, the artist is a friend of mine, Cole Call, who said, uh, he's terrific. Uh, I ironically found him on Twitter. Uh, and Twitter is definitely where most of us hang out, whether you're a writer or an artist. And it's the perfect place to network uh, for this kind of stuff. Uh, he was drawing a lot of like comic book, uh, like superheroes, especially like the Batman characters. And I really like his style. And I thought, hey, you know, I'm doing this um, thing that's not completely like a Batman book, but it's inspired partially by Batman. And I kind of like your style, and I thought we could mix that with what I'm trying to do. And uh, he was interested, and uh, he it was actually his first comic, Santa Fe. Okay. Uh, he, he had never done one before, and he wanted to try it, but I guess he was just waiting for the perfect opportunity. He liked my premise uh, when I pitched it to him, and before you knew it, we were uh, making it. <laughs> yeah, and having watched Lord of the Rings and a few other fantasy things here and there, Santa Fe definitely feels like a bit of a darker tone, especially when you go through the comic and you're just looking at the colors and the inks and you're kind of like, oh, okay, this is something a little different. So I like that you kind of switch things up there. But with Santa Fe, is this something that is going to be a continuous comic or was it kind of something that's going to be a little bit of a shorter run? I always say I can make a story go on forever if I really want to, but uh, you also have to uh, keep in mind like the format and what you can actually afford to make uh thankfully with kickstarter we were able to explore other options in that and we're able to fund it that way but um i envision it for now as a five issue arc which is the typical uh, amount that you see in comics you know i mean even for longer running comics an arc in a comic will usually be about five or six issues uh in the 24 to 25 uh, 28 pages um and uh, that's kind of what I want to go. Some people recommend starting out, especially when you're doing your first comics with smaller comics. Yeah. Uh, one shots, and that kind of thing. 
and I was tempted to, you know, because it's like, okay, I, I can do this, just this one, and I can show that off. But I really like working with a bigger canvas. And mm-hmm. uh, I just, I, the story could not be fitted into such a short amount. So I thought, you know, I'm going to go for it. If we can make this first issue, then there more people will be interested and we can do a second issue. And it's a long running game, but I'm willing to go the distance, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and I've heard that from some other creators too. Maybe do something that's only a page, even or a few pages. I have a friend who did basically like a ten or twelve page comic as sort of his first thing, and then he got more work through doing that. And it's one of those things where I think now, because of how decentralized I guess comics are, you don't necessarily only have options between. Marvel and DC really anymore. There's more freedom to kind of do these stories on your own time and budget. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about too, because you have a Kickstarter currently running, right? Yes, uh, for a comic called The Preserve, also a first issue because it's a bigger story. (laughs) And uh, we're hoping to make more of it as well. Yeah, and as of the time we are recording this, there are about nine days left. So hopefully by the time you're all hearing this, there's still a few days to get on board with that. And I think Kickstarter is something that has blown up, especially within the last year or two, but even more so during the pandemic. I've backed so many comics on Kickstarter (laughs) lately. Some of them are big names too. Like I picked up Scott Snyder's Noctera. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But you know, he's a writer who I followed because of his new 52 Batman run. And then I saw he was doing this comic with Tony S. Daniel. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. And then Keanu Reeves got into the comic book game and boom, did a Kickstarter and that just blew up. So it's been very interesting to see how well Kickstarter has been working, even for creators who aren't necessarily indie creators like Keanu Reeves probably did not need a Kickstarter to help get that book made but for you have you found that Kickstarter has allowed you to do things that you otherwise wouldn't have felt you were able to do absolutely I mean Kickstarter has been uh, a huge door that opened for a lot of creators and like you said even uh for the pandemic especially I think a lot of people discover that and have discovered the indie scene that's booming there's no other word for it it's booming mm-hmm. Uh, for comics and comic creators on Kickstarter. And uh, everybody who's um, always thought about doing one now has that opportunity. And I think it's obviously wonderful. There is a lot of debate. I can tell you this inside the comics community about whether it's cool or not that big name creators like Keanu Reeves and, uh, well, Scott Snyder, is, it, maybe it's a different subject, but Keanu Reeves and Boom Studio situation where a company you know, that clearly can afford to make a comic, mm-hmm. especially when they're supported by a big Hollywood star, uh, whether they need to use um, Kickstarter when, you know, that's kind of become uh, something for the little guy, you know, to use to support themselves and actually make comics when they can't. Uh, some people say that, you know, it, it's a good thing because it draws even more attention from regular people out that don't know much about this to Kickstarter and to the comic scene. Other people are saying, no, they should stay on their lane. You know, they don't need this. They shouldn't take our spot, you know. And I don't know. I I need to listen more uh, before I have a full opinion. But for my part, I I just – it's doing well. Like, I just got Mm -hmm. funded today on my Kickstarter. So I don't think there's a dying sense of interest in it. But who knows? I mean, like two years ago, this wasn't like as big a thing as it is today. So 
hopefully it keeps growing and people keep discovering and we can make more and more comics because there's never enough comics if you ask me <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know, I'm just sitting here looking at my comic book shelf and I have two shelves on a bookshelf that's just comics and one entire shelf is DC because this was before they launched DC Universe Infinite and you can just kind of read everything digitally. But the other shelf is just like a mix of image, Kickstarter stuff, Black Mask, Boom, Archie, you know, so the second row I have is like a bunch of other publishers that aren't necessarily the big two. Some of it is, some of it's Vertigo and the Marvel Max stuff. But I think having that variety in comics and that diversity in comics is something that Kickstarter has been able to allow the industry to do because it's really hard to get your foot in the door with a place like Marvel or DC. They have been making some strides to have new creators involved in like the big oversized Batman issue 1000 or something like that, <laughs> where you can kind of showcase these newer artists and writers. But with Kickstarter, if you are able to build your fan base, I think that's a really great way to just make sure you are going to have the money for the production of the books and, you know, to pay the writers and artists who are involved, because that's something that I think is a big topic of discussion in the comic book industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is all moving through social media right now, and everybody's mm -hmm. trying to build their own fan bases. And But it, it is also about connecting with other creators, I think. That, I felt, really helped me. Uh, both reach a bigger audience and um, just be successful with my Kickstarter because it's all about, you know, networking and being supportive of, of other people, you know. So when it's your turn, they'll come to you and they will be there for you, but you also got to be there for them, you know, and support their comics and their Kickstarters and uh, whatever else. But it's it's a beautiful thing where you see people come together and help each other out. I really, I'm really touched by uh, the support I've gotten from a lot of creators, honestly. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed as I've been backing comics on Kickstarter is that sometimes I'll get updates from the campaigns that I've backed. And it's just them recommending other Kickstarters for you to go check out and back, which I think is really cool. Because when we think of building communities, we think a lot of social media or conventions when those were happening in person. But now it really feels like People are using these social communities to push each other's work out there. And I have noticed this as I've been following more comic book creators on both Instagram and Twitter. It's all about the industry supporting each other. And I think that is very crucial, especially now, because I don't know if you saw the recent news, but Marvel's comics are now going to be distributed by Penguin Random House. Yeah, I saw that. I don't know uh, much about the Diamond uh, situation. I mean, I know they had the Monopoly, and I know that was choking a lot of the uh, lifeblood of, of like comics getting more out there. If you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know the the finer points, but from everybody that I've talked to about it and has told me about it, I do think it's a good thing. You know, yeah. because it's uh, going to be a bigger distribution. It's going to get to a lot of places that comics did not get to that I think are necessary because people always said it's it's criminal that we don't have comics like in, in like a Target or like a, a grocery store or something where you can just, you know, like you see magazines, for example, because yeah. 
a lot of people will not go to comic stores. I mean, they just don't. So having them in libraries or that kind of thing, I think definitely gets eyes on them. And it'll probably just be for the big two for now. Right. But one begets the other. I mean, it's all progress in the end. Absolutely. And, you know, DC a while back made a deal with Walmart where Walmart was carrying certain DC comics that were Walmart exclusive. I picked up a couple. I don't know if I ever got around to reading them because my backlog is insane for everything that I have on my bookshelves here. But it's something where I think in recent years, we've been seeing a big shift in the comic book industry in general, because people are just realizing, hey, things aren't how they were in the 60s, 70s and 80s. So we kind <laughs> of much. have to change things. And there's also uh, something that I've, I'm seeing more of, at least with DC, I think Marvel too, although I haven't checked, but uh, is that they're also catering to younger people as well, you know, which is something that I think really got lost in the conversation at some point where the comics were oriented more for adults to the same people who already grew up with them. And the stories became very inaccessible to younger and newer fans and very uh, adult in themes. And uh, it's it was really nice just seeing like uh, young adult novels or graphic novels. Uh, about characters like uh, Cassandra Kane or Mira or Wonder Woman, you know, uh, that, you know, younger fans could find and actually enjoy without having to, like, read a thousand comics of what happened before, you know? Yeah, and the way that things are expanding makes me excited to check out things of all different genres and from all different kinds of creators and publishers. And, you know, we touched on... Kickstarter here a little and the fact that you have one going on. Can you tell me a little more about your comics in general and what your process is like for writing comics? Well, it depends on the story, but ultimately you start with that. You know, I some people are more story driven. I think I'm more character driven. I like to come up with the characters first and sort of guide the story based on where I want that character to start and where I want that character to end. What's their journey? Their journey to me tells me what the bigger story needs to be. I mean, sure, you can come up with a theme or a, um, a plot point or the, the X factor, as I call it, which in the case of my latest comic, The Preserve, is monster hunting. So I, want, I wanted to do a story with mon- monster hunting and uh, sort of the first thing I came up with was the character, the main characters. And in this case was uh, a hunter who's you know, very against doing that, you know, because I think it reflects my own views on the subject matter, which is, I think, you know, it happens. Their writer imbues their own point of view. And I think that's how, you know, you get to know where the writer stands a lot of the time through their work. But um, in this case, you know, I just, uh, it, it was just a recurring idea that I had about uh, the character hunting creatures in the darkness of the jungle or the forest. And um, it kind of became a fun twist to what if it's like a game, you know, like a televised national sport event, like, you know, you see the the World Cup of soccer or something, and it's and these badass hunters come in looking like characters out of John Wick. But then, you know, I started thinking about the subject matter itself, which was hunting. And the more I thought about it and my own experiences of it with um, animals, uh, the more I realized, yeah, this is kind of messed up. And if I'm going to talk about it, I should talk about why it's wrong. So it's sort of became that the necessity of the character had to be someone who has no choice but to do this. And then, you know, you start looking into the history of hunting and people who actually still do it and why. And 
it becomes very interesting. I, I, I'm trying to keep it short so I don't talk too much about it, but that's <laughs> kind of the line, the line of thinking that got me started with this comic, for example. Yeah, I love character-driven stories because I host a Stephen King podcast as well, and what I've been noticing throughout that, because I'm reading everything in chronological order, he really focuses a lot on characters and towns in his stories. And especially in Maine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in Maine, sometimes in Colorado. And he has a knack for just making you care about the characters so much that even if there are some plot holes here and there, you don't really mind those as much. And obviously, it would be great to have a story that doesn't have plot holes as well, but things happen. It's fine. And I think with comics, because of it being a visual medium, you can kind of fill in some blanks with the visuals or visual cues, you know, and I really like how that, how the comic book medium allows you to not only build the characters and build the story, but because you have this visual element to it that you don't have in novels, you can also put things in there that you would have to probably describe in maybe too much detail in a novel. You know, you don't have to describe the entire background that you're seeing in a comic because you can see it. Yeah. And I think I love that personally. I mean, a lot of writers when they're starting out confuse writing comics with writing novels. And I think I went through that myself, but it is, you know, you're trying to help the artist bring out the best uh, storytelling through visuals that you can. So you have to remember, it's not just about having a lot of exposition or dialogue, you know, I mean, you can have some of that and probably need some of that, but at the end of the day, it's a visual medium and you have to work in, uh, you know, with, with the artist to make that a reality. So you want to emphasize visuals over talking a lot of the time. I try to find a happy balance because I really like having characters talk. That's how I really showcase yeah. their personalities and their goals. So uh, hopefully my artists don't hate me when I have like, okay, can I have three pages of just them talking? <laughs> you really have to, you really have to show me different looks for their faces over and over. But I really, I really love that in comics. Uh, one of my favorite writers in comic books uh, is uh, Scott Snyder, like you mentioned, and uh, Brian Michael Bendis, both who are famous for, or infamous even, for using a ton of dialogue to communicate. I mean, to the point where it can be ridiculous, but I grew up um, reading a lot of their work, and uh, especially Bendis, and uh, I just I love how he was able to communicate so much through dialogue. Mm -hmm. So that's something that I, sometimes I like to emulate when possible. But at the end of the day, you do have to remember you are working with an artist and it's a visual medium. So try to find the happy balance. Yeah. I mean, on the plus side, new comics are never as wordy as comics from like the 60s because I was going <laughs> back and reading through a bunch of the Spider-Man comics. I started with Amazing Fantasy number 15 and worked my way through chronologically. I think I got about 60 issues in and it takes a lot of time to read those comics because not only is there a lot of dialogue, but there's a lot of narration happening too. So when you have both of those things combining at a higher volume, you're like, oh, okay, you didn't really need to tell us this because you were also showing it to us. I don't necessarily think that too much dialogue is a bad thing, but it's when comics start to have too much explaining of what's on the page where I'm like, I think we're smart enough to figure this out. And so for you to prefer 
your characters having dialogue and that's how you have their personality shine. I think that's something that works better now because back then they used to just explain everything to you. Yeah. I mean, it depends on the dialogue as well. Obviously yeah. if the dialogue works, if it flows well, if it's interesting, if it's, you know, funny or uh, very unique it's because of the characters that I think is what captures uh, the reader. You know, if you like the way they're talking and what they're talking about, you'll keep reading mm-hmm. uh, versus just like you said in the sixties where like they were narrating everything <laughs> that happened in huge speech bubbles where like nobody that doesn't work anymore really yeah it was like oh no the vulture's here and it's like yes thank you we can see him <laughs> oh no the vulture's here i i must sleep away to the next building where i will go a flight of stairs so i can yeah, yeah, yeah you know like it's too much <laughs> yeah still love them though yeah no it's, it's it's fun like retro looking at it but it wouldn't like nobody would read that currently but uh, I think, you know, a lot of writers experiment with their dialogue and show no t- don't tell. I like to think more of it like depends how you tell it. Yeah. And uh, like, well, you read Santa Fe, for example, one of my uh, favorite scenes, which is I knew that this was going to require a heavy exposition scene. But I thought, what if they're doing it while talking to a giant dragon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's suddenly, you know, it's there's a lot of talks about crime stats and murder and like we need to find this and people are doing that. But the fact that they're in this giant room full of treasure with a giant dragon talking to them that I think it's so delightful that I will listen to a dragon talk about exposition all day. I don't know. Yeah. Well, L.A., is there anything else you want to promote that you're working on right now or are you really just focused on the kickstarter for now the kickstarter we just got funded today literally like an hour ago but uh we still have like you said nine days to go and we hope to reach that extended goal so we can make even more comics so if you haven't checked it out yet please do the preserve on kickstarter it's a really cool comic i'm really proud of it i can't wait to make it and just show it to everybody and um, you can definitely check out Santa Fe Volume 1, which is on my Gumster account, and um, download the, the first issue. I also did uh, another comic that was my first comic called Frontier Zero, which is for free on my website, which is wickedsuitproductions.com. And uh, that's pretty much all I've done so far. But, you know, I'm hoping to build more and more of a resume as I go. And uh, thanks to Kickstarter, I do have that option. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, and thank you so much for coming on to give us the perspective of someone who's a little newer in the comic book industry. And, you know, I hope all of your future projects get funded as well so you can keep making comics. Uh, Me too. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of Welcome to Geekdom. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so through our Patreon. If you want to follow us on socials, you can do so at GeekdomPod on Twitter and at Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.